This podcast represents my opinion and the opinion of my guests. This is not medical advice, and I am not establishing a patient-physician relationship with any listener. The content here should not be taken as medical advice. The content here is for informational purposes only. And because each patient is so unique, please consult your healthcare professional for any medical questions you may have. Welcome, welcome, everybody. It's the Not Your Doc Pod. My name is Seth Gabriel, producer Seth, as they refer to me on the show, doing my best Vanessa impression as we are still making do without her. I'm here with my good friend, Dr. Charles Tadros, or as I like to call him, Dr. Chucky T. And I just made that up just now. So how do you like that? <laughs> that was pretty good for Not Your Doc podcast. I have more than uh, more than one derogatory name that's uh, that's fun to listen to. Actually, thank you for. Um, I'm gonna tell that to one to my wife to see if she can parlay that into a, a daily thing for me. Thanks. Yeah, that's a, that's a great uh, SoundCloud rap name. If you ever want to get into like <laughs> maybe making your own hip hop beats, you can be Doctor Chucky T. I need yeah, I need stuff that rhymes and alliteration, stuff that sticks. So in Vanessa's absence, I was talking to you uh, last week, and we decided without her around, let's do a little guy talk. Yeah, let's sure. ask some of these questions today. We're just going to go over five questions men should be asking their doctor. At least five um, questions. We can go more. Oh, yes. yeah. Actually, when, in our research, we probably found a couple of thousand. You probably are, have already heard all these questions. That's right. Yes. At some point, but um, right now we are going to ask these questions on a few men's behalf, as they are our men be. Yeah, I said that wrong. But anyways, uh, we're asking on behalf of a few men out there that may be too embarrassed to ask some of these questions. That's um, right. So you're ready to dive in. Absolutely. Well, we should talk about why men talk, why men don't talk about some of these. Okay. Uh, first of all, I, I for think, sure. Um, per- personally, a lot of times men don't talk about this because because they didn't grow up talking about it. Uh, smaller things, less less important things, maybe as they're growing up in, as youngsters about their health or about what's normal, or not normal. And that's what I find is a lot of people don't even know what normal f- should look like or feel like, uh, whether it's feelings or body uh, body part uh, changes, etc. So that's the very first thing. And oftentimes the spouses or parents, or, or, or I'm sorry, their, their spouses and oftentimes the parents, whenever they're that young, it's parents and teachers uh, are not sure what to say or how to say it. Sometimes they kind of brush it off or go tell people to look it up in a, in a, in a book or a website. Uh, so that's kind of the way I grew up. Uh, my parents never talked about sex uh, uh, to me. I had to figure it out uh, on my own. Um, uh, and so it's, uh, it, that's the first, uh, that's the first thing. The next thing is, of course, if you go to a physician, nurse practitioner, physician assistant, um, I will tell you, it should be matter of fact. It should be, oh, you want to talk about this? Sure. Everybody wants to talk about this. So one of the things I want to make sure is that people don't feel that special about bringing up questionable, you know, stuff that they may think, consider embarrassing. Uh, if we say, oh my gosh, stop. And nobody ever talks about this stuff. Then it, it makes people a little more shy and embarrassed. So I want people to kind of feel comfortable. And that's why some Sometimes whether you go, uh, if you ask questions for, 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 for uh, people like us or through websites or whatever we do, we're going to do live chats eventually, it's easier sometimes to talk to a stranger uh, in certain ways. Uh, the persons who know you tend to have a better history on you, and I can make more specific recommendations, but we'll make some general observations and recommendations here. Uh, once again, it's not uh, specifically to any one person or any one group, but it's just a way to start thinking about things, and you can take it up with your own uh, professionals that know you better. Okay. Awesome. Yeah. And uh, uh, I fall into the category of the people who are afraid of the answer. Yeah. And you're probably familiar with this category well, sure. as well, right? Okay. So, and, and like I get up every day, I'm like, I'm alive and breathing. I, I'll go to a doctor someday. I'll ask these questions yeah. at some point. But for right now, I'm enjoying 
Yes. The ignorance, in a way, it's bliss. It is. Ignorance can if be bliss if it ain't sometimes. Hurting, yeah, if it's not squeaking, don't. There's no reason to grease uh, grease a non-squeaking wheel, obviously. So yeah, uh, yeah you're kind of. We're, we're going to talk about kind of what guys may quote unquote squeak about what they kind of uh, may bother them sometimes. And there's tons of other things. There. Yeah, there's tons oh. of other things too. That was clever. Are you ready for question number yeah, one, sure. Doctor? Okay, yeah. Chucky e. T. Um, the first question: With annual physicals now covered by insurance, mm-hmm. what screenings do I need? Sure. Uh, well, first of all, and let's it, talk about age too. Yeah. So it's uh, not everything is automatically covered. When, when, when people are talking about insurance covered screenings for for decades and decades, insurance companies, especially Medicare, uh, did not cover wellness visits or screening visits. Screening means uh, don't have any symptoms, but you are at risk for something, whether it's hypertension or alcohol or diabetes or prostate cancer, breast cancer, cervical cancer, uh, uh, all these things, you may not have symptoms, but you're at risk for them. You're right age, you're right sex uh, for certain things, uh, right gender, so that, that that you could potentially have prostate cancer or colon cancer, diabetes or heart disease or blood pressure, cholesterol. So screening test means that, and for many years, insurers would not cover something if you didn't have symptoms already. If you haven't had already had a heart attack or you had symptoms of increased thirst for diabetes, et cetera, they would not cover things. Now, now, now we've known it for decades, but finally, insurances have jumped on board that they will cover screening uh, uh, physical exams, sometimes even screening tests like a cholesterol panel or, sh- or blood sugar before you have any symptoms. So that's the first thing you always have to check because it's money and you always have to check. Don't, don't assume because it seems right that, that insurance should cover it. So that's the first thing. For, 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 for Certainly for pediatrics, which is below, not my age group, but for pediatrics, there are wellness checks because oftentimes wellness checks go with immunizations uh, whenever you're very young. And so that's a very important important piece of it and wellness and oftentimes people in order to participate in sports or camps needed physical exams uh, filled out and so oftentimes that was important so those are uh, uh, times in youngsters life where they tend to be seen more because they they even the, that's when they discover things that you were born with or happen early in life born with means congenital happen in life early <clears throat> Is the other aspect uh, that if you wanted to pick up kidney disease or something, you're not necessarily born with it, but you develop it early in life, they tend to pick it up earlier, and that's the pediatrician. Pediatricians are typically seeing you until age, depending on how big you are and how other conditions you may have, 16, 18, or even 21. <clears throat> so some people can even go through college by still seeing their pediatrician. Most people don't. Um, hmm. And then from there, you tend to go to an adult primary care physician. Well, real quick, if you're in college, do you still go to the room with the balloons and the clowns right, and so sit that, on the that, table and get a lollipop So unfortunately, afterwards? I get six foot one guys and gal, uh, not the gals so much but six foot, they'd have to go sit with the you know the the the, the 13 the tiny year olds. bed yeah the yeah tiny so chairs. right so that that that's one motivation to move on <laughs> especially if you're a big uh, if you if you have early puberty and you're a big boy uh, unless you big, get a sucker at the end of it then that's hard it's harder right. to walk away <laughs> those treats but anyway so uh, so that's really important to have uh whenever you're growing to have a, a medical home uh in pediatrics uh because they get to know you and uh you and this is everything from ADD to depression to to to, to anemia to blood pressure issues to, to menarche, which is the start of menstrual periods, uh, uh, school academic issues, parenting-related issues, sibling rivalry, all that stuff. Pediatricians are really good at this, um, mm-hmm. and so that's very important. Um, and that's also time that they can do physical exams. Um, this is from everything <clears throat> uh, from blood pressure to um, to scoliosis with spinal curvature. Uh, to uh, flat feet, uh, to asthma, all these things are picked up in, in typically in childhood. Uh, so testing is not that much testing is typically done in youngsters. They'll do probably a lipid panel, a cholesterol panel, a blood sugar, check your blood 
blood pressure, and that's not necessarily every visit. Uh, certainly not every visit, but that's some of the uh, some some of the items that they'll be checking. Um, if you have a family history for something, uh, uh, something early in life, they, the, that uh, warns them that they should look in it for you. Bipolar disease, uh, substance abuse, other things that may run in families. <clears throat> Uh, thyroid issues, uh, type 1 diabetes, all these things. Uh, well, type 1 is typically not inherited. Uh, but anyway, uh, that's uh, that's important for, for uh, to have a good history to be able to tell the pediatrician. And once again, not usually a lot of blood tests in, in pediatric age groups. 18 and above, that's when we start uh, getting uh, kind of adult. These are pretty much all youngsters are adult size by 18. Most boys stop growing about uh, 18 years old, most women, girls stop growing about 16. Some people grow into college, obviously. So that's, that's uh, and those, and so physical exams are much less frequent. Routine physical exams are much less frequent where you have uh, no, no symptoms. You're just going in annually and stuff like that. So typically it'll be much less frequent uh, after 16 or so, maybe every three years or so that uh, somebody will go uh, be seen by a primary care physician. Uh, somewhere in your 30s and to 40s, that's when we probably should uh, be getting something routine just into habit. Um, that's when hypertension, obesity, uh, uh, marital problems, all sorts of things start financial problems all sorts of stressors start kind of coming in and somewhere usually into your uh, mid to late 30s into your 40s and certainly by the time you're 50 we're looking at uh, annual exams for men and women we're talking men here mainly today uh, that's uh, once again because uh, the older you get the increased risk for uh, for arthritis and depression and and obesity and cancers um, uh, autoimmune diseases etc so there's a uh, you get a cumul accumulation of chronic conditions uh, that tend not to get not to go away not other words and that's why we end up seeing you routinely at, at that time um, and so then testing <clears throat> so the typical general testing and once again it's not as different for every age group but the typical general testing is a comprehensive metabolic panel which is a blood sugar kidney and liver functions and, and electrolytes sodium potassium calcium that's comprehensive or complete metabolic panel a CMP Charlie uh, Mary Peter uh, CMP that's one uh, what's one panel another panel is a CBC with differential and platelets so complete blood count with differential which is a different part of the white cells and platelet counts and that's uh, that looks at your white cells and the breakdown of the white cells these are the ones that fight infection um, and uh, are part of uh, leukemia and lymphoma uh, there are the red cells which will carry oxygen also if they're too low it's called anemia also can be part of cancers and then, uh, and then uh, the platelets are the things that help make scabs and clots so we have a comprehensive metabolic panel a, a complete blood count urine analysis or UA uh, urinalysis, I always mispronounce it. I call it urinalysis as if it's two words, but it's urinalysis, which is one word. And that looks at your uh, blood sugar in your urine, protein in the urine, red cells in the urine, white cells in the urine, and some liver-related uh, functions in your urine. Uh, those are the big ones. Occasionally, you'll have a lipid panel, uh, cholesterol. Uh, uh, this is the total cholesterol, HDL cholesterol, the high-density lipoprotein cholesterol, the quote-unquote good cholesterol, the LDL cholesterol, low-density lipoprotein, or the quote-unquote bad cholesterol, and then there are some other numbers that include in the cholesterol panel. And then occasionally people will get a thyroid study, which is a TSH typically, thyroid stimulating hormone, which is, <laughs> a, we call it fourth or fifth generation. I can't remember which generation we're on now. But usually that's enough to screen uh, for, for, for thyroid function. People who have enlarged thyroid on physical exam or have other thyroid symptoms, uh, bu buggy eyes with high 
pulse and weight loss and palpitations and anxiety. Those are potentially hyperthyroid patients. They may need more than just a TSH, like a free T4. That's uh, another blood test uh, for thyroid. Uh, if you're, uh, you know, if you're overweight, snoring, lethargic, uh, uh, diabetic or pre-diabetic, uh, thick, uh, you know, uh, 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 thickened hair, cra- uh, breaking off of hair, hair loss, uh, and other things like that. A constipation, uh, maybe hypothyroid. Those patients also uh, TSH plus a, a free T4, a free. Uh, uh, th- uh, uh, thyroxine uh, uh, blood levels can be helpful. So we're talking about comprehensive metabolic panel, uh, comprehensive metabolic panel, or complete metabolic panel, uh, CBC complete uh, blood count, um, um, uh, lipid panel, cholesterol panel, and uh, thyroid. Those are the big ones. For men later in life, if you're 40, if you if you're African American or have a family history for prostate cancer, uh, uh, or, uh, then there's increased risk for prostate cancer and for being more aggressive early on. So TS. Uh, I'm sorry, PSA, prostate-specific antigen. This is for a pro- blood test for your prostate uh, cancer r- risk is uh, usually at 40 and above. We'll come back and talk about that. And if you're Caucasian or low risk, uh, uh, no, don't have any family history for early prostate cancer, then 50 or above for a prostate number every year is potentially okay. American Urological Association differs then from some of the other organizations where they look at prostate numbers and say, wait a minute, don't just automatically get one because you're a certain age. You know, uh, what happens is a lot of people will get them, they'll be mildly elevated or borderline high. Um, and then that goes into a, uh, this this diagnostic mis- misadventure which, where we send you to a specialist and we do more tests and biopsies and kind of all sorts of things ca- kind of come uh, come together when you have an abnormal test when it comes to the prostate. Not everything that raises the prostate number above four, uh, that's the usual magic number for older people. Younger people is above two or above one and a half sometimes for the PSA. So if you're younger, if you're 40 to 50, they're probably looking at a PSA less than two, probably potentially even less than one or one and a half. So understand, even though the PSA may have a normal range of from zero to four, uh, for young people, if we're testing younger people, 40 to 50, that they may want you less than four. Certainly above uh, two and a half and uh, certainly above four, uh, we, for older people, we want uh, the, those people may end up having to have more testing um, and uh, go see a specialist. Things that raise prostate numbers, and this is why it's not just a cancer uh, number uh, for prostate. It, uh, after sex, it can raise your PSA no matter what age you are. Um, after masturbation, uh, same thing like sex, it can raise your PSA. Riding bicycles a lot can raise your PSA. Uh, after somebody touches your prostate, like a doctor uh, feeling your prostate as a rectal exam and during a physical exam can raise your PSA. Benign growth, so uh, benign prostatic uh, hypertrophy or hyperplasia uh, is, uh, uh, is uh, just a BPH, which is, happens as we all, almost all men grow older, uh, starting probably in your 40s. Uh, your, uh, that can also raise even those benign enlargement of the prostate. Uh, that could also raise your uh, PSA. Uh, and certainly prostate infection, prostatitis, uh, bacterial typically can raise your PSA. And then last, cancers can raise your PSA, prostate cancer. Uh, it's an adenocarcinoma of the prostate. Uh, I once early in my practice had a person who had metastatic prostate cancer to the ribs and the PSA was normal. Uh, and it was a special type of prostate cancer, and very few people get a sarcoma. Those are very rare that would not raise your PSA. It's adenocarcinoma, which is almost 100% of prostate cancers, is the one that raises your PSA. Uh, so uh, that's why we get into trouble with trusting tests blindly and calling them one thing, prostate PSA, prostate-specific uh, uh, engine, is a cancer test for the prostate. It's, well, it actually goes up with all sorts of other things besides cancer, including cancer. So those are some of the things, and when we would typically test for them. 
Wow, that was interesting. There's yeah. a lot of follow-up questions. Yeah, you said yeah. you riding your bicycle yeah, so, ra- with the seat on. Yeah, right. We'll, ra- <laughs> we'll raise the PSA. And yeah, it is. It's true. That's one of the problems we run into is that uh, we sometimes, if we see a borderline elevation of PSA or moderate elevation, but not uh, or even high before, uh, then then we will have people repeat it after stop sex, uh, stop uh, riding bicycles or stationary bikes, and we'll have them stop for a week or two and then have them uh, do a repeat PSA. And oftentimes it'll be improved um, okay. yeah yeah it's important for people to know that uh, yeah it's not always cancer all right so we're gonna get sexual here for a second with well, the sure. next question we're not yeah. gonna go uh, this one's a little vague so we're not gonna go specifically into pe or uh ed or any of these other two letter yeah, sure. acronyms the the things men are especially embarrassed to bring up right. sometimes to their doctor or anyone else um so yes. we're just gonna throw it out there i'm not feeling as sexually vital as i'd like could something be wrong with my health? Yeah, sure, absolutely. Um, so we're talking about men again. Uh, we'll talk about uh, you know no, not not young uh, males, not boys. Um, so first, I differentiate sex drive from erections. So, so sex drive is uh, is is the want to have sex, the desire to have sex, the libido, the horniness, and then the the functioning, the hydraulics, uh, the nerves, and the, and the and the blood vessels that go to the penis. Are you able to get an erection and maintain it to to get satisfactory on your course? Uh, so I just kind of segregate those two. Um, um, so that's the first thing. Um, uh, typically, I look at uh, number one, the patient's age. Number two, uh, uh, their medications for depression, if they've had uh, uh, diabetes and diabetic medicines, etc. All these things can matter in terms of both libido and erections. Um, um, alcohol consumption. People severely underestimate alcohol uh, uh, can uh, can cause uh, weight gain. Uh, you know, the, the 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 beer gut and weight gain tends to lower testosterone. Testosterone tends to lower libido. Testosterone is usually not related so much with erections, but libido, the horniness, the want to have sex. People kind of mistaken that, thinking that if they just jack up their testosterone, everything will be fixed, and it's not true uh, for a lot of people. So first of all, like I said, so I will look at uh, the desire to have sex. Are you having marital problems? Are you having depression? Do you have are you on medications that can mess with your with your, your with your libido? You want to have sex, um, stuff like that. So uh, unfortunately, some of the best antidepressants also decrease your libido. So the Prozac mm-hmm. and, and 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 Zoloft and stuff in the world. World, tend to help with depression, anxiety, and PTSD, but they can decrease your want to have sex and decrease your ability to have erections and certainly decrease your ability to ejaculate. All kidding aside, that is a hell of a thing to weigh out. It is. Yeah. It's, it's <laughs> really? a big deal. For young, for young men, that's one of the bigger causes for them, uh, weight gain and sexual dysfunction. Uh, are, are, are not feeling, kind of feeling, okay, I'm not depressed or, or anxious, but I just feel bland, blah, flat. I don't can't get excited, can't get sad. Those are the big reasons why people don't want to stay on medicines uh, uh, like SSRIs. <clears throat> so so the want to have sex, the desire to have sex, like I said, those are some of the big things. Um, uh, alcohol, I, like I said, and, and obesity. It turns out obesity is one of the causes that drives down testosterone. So people tell you that you have low T or low testosterone. I won't, I'll get into that a little bit later um, then one of the things to do is to uh, is to uh, uh, is to lose weight if you're overweight that tends to raise the testosterone automatically without any shots uh, so that's the next thing then erections the problems also come from medications uh, from from alcohol because as you know if you're drinking and stuff like that you may not be able to if you're really drunk you may not be able to perform uh, so uh, stress is the other big thing performance anxiety right it's kind of like stage fright but also if you even if you have a partner that you've a loved one a partner a spouse that you've known for years one or two times where you can't perform all of a sudden gets into your head even if it's not a stranger or anybody one night stand it gets into your head and it's, it becomes 
a performance issue. Uh, so that's the, that's the other that's the other thing. Um, and then of course blood flow issues. So blood flow both uh, the uh, remember your penis um, has uh, arterioles. These are arteries with kind of valves that put blood into your uh, penis. And then the the veins that take blood out of your penis also have valves. So you pump in blood and you close off the veins on the leaving the penis. And so both if you then you close off both valves uh, entering and exiting, and then you'll have a rigid penis for intercourse. So if you have poor blood flow in, so blood vessel problems going in, such as with diabetes or with uh, hardening of the arteries, uh, atherosclerotic arterial disease, and some other uh, uh, inflammatory arterial diseases uh, uh, that can cause problems with uh, inflow of uh, of blood into the penis. Outflow... Um, it can be from a variety of things, including varicose veins, um, uh, where you, you don't can't close off the valve, the venous valves. Um, and uh, so that's kind of where we end up uh, with the blood flow issues. Um, nerve issues. Uh, this is actually neuropathy that we see in diabetes is as one as one of the problems. This is part of the autonomic nervous system. Uh, so that's uh, it's a parasympathetic and sympathetic nervous system have to work together to get erections and to have ejaculation. Uh, so it has to be working well enough. So that's the other thing. Um, and uh, and occasionally we have um, um, uh, fibrosis or, or or hardening or thickening of some of the tissue in the penis. Uh, Peroni's disease. Uh, it can sometimes will be painful if you have an erection or you get a crooked penis with an erection. And that's typically a, fi- a fibrosis, uh, maybe a part of an autoimmune problem. Uh, but that also can cause erectile problems or painful erections or difficulty having erections. And those are the kind of the, those are the big things that I can, I think about. There are a bunch of other things. If you haven't slept well uh, is an, another thing uh, that you, uh, that you can, that can cause uh, problems with uh, wanting to have sex, the desire, as well as to have a, a efficient effective erections yeah yeah that's roughly uh, about right any any other ones you've heard of oh no i think you covered <laughs> there's a lot of stuff i hadn't even uh, heard of in there but i thought that's pretty interesting right at the beginning you're talking there's you got to differentiate what you know yeah between and, these things and i think that's pretty important to talk to your doctor so they can find out like are right is it you do you have anxiety when it comes to right. you know performance or do you have a medical issue that's physically Bingo. stopping you so there's a big difference between do you want to have sex or can you not have sex like, yeah and i have not got into the kind of the hormone stuff the testosterone testosterone is driven by uh by by the brain uh, uh by gonadotropin releasing hormones uh, and so uh so there's a whole uh, feedback loop that inc- involves the brain and you can have faulty um, uh, um uh, hormonal uh drives uh, along the way. Um, so FSH and LH, uh, follicle, follicular stimulating hormone and luteinizing hormone that could be uh, an issue that uh, cause problems uh, with uh, with libido and eventually erections. Um, so the, it gets more technical uh, from that standpoint, but that's the usual stuff. Occasionally prostate stuff can affect erections. For instance, if somebody's had prostate surgery, they which with the nerves that go around the prostate, uh, the prostate capsule, if they're damaged, that'll also give you classically a problem post-operative potentially permanently of, uh, of erectile problems after surgery for prostate cancer so there's a bunch of other ones that are more uh, that are that we may see yeah so important to see a good good primary care guy or gal and then also a urologist which is usually the next step if, if your primary care person is, uh, can't help out most most people and people forget back you know 35 whatever 35 years ago 30 years ago whenever Viagra came on board 
Um, uh, Bob Dole, people forget when Bob Dole lost to. Uh, oh, God, was that commercial yeah. not the hardest thing to watch? Yeah. Bob Dole and his wife <laughs> talking right. about him carrying after, his around. After, after Bob Dole lost to Bill Clinton, Bob Dole started making Viagra commercials. Yeah, that's right. Uh, and so, uh, and so uh, Viagra was initially indicated for people with uh, post operative post prostate cancer, prostatectomy uh, surgery that had erectile problems and people with diabetes, advanced diabetes that affected the nervous system. Uh, the nervous system and cause erectile problems. So those are the two big reasons that people that Viagra was indicated for. I don't think it ever achieved any other indication for, for in terms of erections. But the vast, vast majority of the people that I wrote scripts for were probably functional uh, uh, erection problems. They have not had surgery, did not have diabetes or advanced diabetes. So the vast majority of prescriptions that we wrote for that was never, by the way, Viagra was really never covered for the typical person that I ever had to see and get prescriptions for were for functional uh, issues that may have been better treated with exercise and cutting out alcohol and, and seeing a therapist, a talk therapist and relationship therapist, then getting Viagra. But the kicker is Viagra. I remind people, Viagra can help people with or without uh, erectile problems. So it can help a person with, you know, irregular erections have a more rigid erection and last longer. And it certainly can help people that have erectile problems. So it's not a way people say, well, I took Viagra and I got a better erection. Therefore, I must have ED or erectile dysfunction. The answer is no, it helps all sorts of people uh, uh, with uh, uh, that. So th- that's not a diagnostic criteria for erection, for erectile problems. Um, the problems with the Viagras and the Levitras and the Cialis's of the world uh, is that these are all work through the same mechanism. The problem is, is that these things can give you headaches, can give you uh, Cialis, especially muscle aches. Uh, uh, some people, some of these can give you heartburn and chest fullness. Uh, so it's not a pleasant experience to get a, a, a good erection uh, with these drugs. And sometimes it's last hmm. several days. Cialis has got oh, a long wow. half life, so it can, you can have several days of muscle aches from Cialis, for instance. And yeah. they say like f- after four hours, consult your doctor. Four hours still seems like a long time. It is. It is. Uh, <clears throat> most men, I, despite what people think, most men, you know, ten fifteen minutes of of, of of sexual activity uh, for uh, is probably uh, is probably more average. I know what people say and read and think and watching porn. It's not even close to that. So yeah. uh, that's it's, it's, so that's why foreplay and other things about knowing about your partner. A lot of things besides coitus uh, with completion to to, to ejaculation is important uh, to recognize that other things that are very important in intimacy that are besides uh, uh, intercourse because intercourse for a male is a couple of heck fifteen minutes would be long. You know two, three, four, five minutes, you know, at most for most men. Um, yeah. It's crazy. Bob Dole lost to Clinton who had like the exact opposite problem, but that's for a different, that's right. that's for that's a another, different show. That's though. another show. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. All right. And I will say, uh, if you cut out drinking and add exercise to your life, you yes. could probably knock a few things off your list that's of correct. physical mental health problems. Oh no, so a, a large chunk. Yeah. yeah. Uh, stress for reduction. Sure. Absolutely. Weight loss uh, helps a lot of different things, uh, but, but stress reduction through exercise helps uh, uh, everything from heart disease to, uh, to erect, erectile issues. You are correct. What a great segue because our next thing we're talking about is heart disease. Here's a question I think a sure. lot of men out there. Uh, in fact, you probably, you get asked this a lot. You yeah. don't even have to volunteer this information or ask about it. You actually get asked in a lot of medical uh, consults and a lot of medical forms. Yeah. I'm worried. Here's the question, doctor. I'm worried because several relatives in my family have had a heart attacks. How yeah. can I tell if I'm at risk for heart disease? You are. If just being a male, you puts you at risk. Having a heart. Yeah, just having a heart puts you at risk. That's correct. That's being a good point. alive means you will die. That's right. <laughs> it's yeah, that's a, the, the highest risk factor for di- dying is that you're alive to begin yeah. with. But no, if you if you if you have if you uh, we know that fatty streaks, 
start happening in your teenage years. This is back in Vietnam. I, I said this on another podcast in Vietnam when young boys, 18 year olds are young boys to me, uh, young boys uh, were killed and they would do autopsies. These these boys would already have fatty artery uh, arterial streaks. This is cholesterol lining the arteries already in their heart arteries. So we know that cholesterol builds up uh, already. Fatty 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 lipids uh, that are stuffed inside the lining of your arteries, uh, your your media. Uh, it's called the uh, the media of your coronary arteries. So we know that it happens in young people, maybe genetics, maybe also dietary stuff, uh, oftentimes with a combination. Smoking seems to accelerate it, obviously, too. Diabetes accelerates it. Uh, so the quickie answer is absolutely. The older you get, and I would argue... The stuff that we see when you're in your 50s started in, you know, like we said, mm-hmm. in your 20s and below. So anywhere along the line, it doesn't mean that you have to have an EKG or a stress test starting whenever you're 15 or anything like that. But anywhere along the line, if you're smoking, if you're diabetic, if you're obese, if you drink too much alcohol, uh, if you don't exercise enough, uh, if you, all these things put you at risk for having problems later in life. The number one killer in in, 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 in the developed world is not malaria, is not eaten by you know Nile crocodiles, it is, and it's, <laughs> it's, it's, it's heart disease, coronary artery disease specifically with ischemic heart disease. Yeah. Nile uh, crocodiles are still top 10 though, they, watch they, out. They, they will get you. Those, out, Nile, I heard those, Nile, those Nile crocodiles are very aggressive uh, yes. compared to the American alligator. But seriously, uh, you are correct. So if you have a family history, and, and it's especially important if, if the family history is what we call early coronary artery disease in your family. So below age 60 for men in your family, first degree relatives, below age 50 for women uh, uh, in your in your family, first degree relatives, this is a mother or sister uh, type of uh, 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 first, uh, which means the first degree is a mother, you know, brother, mother, sister, uh, father type of, uh, and that's the first degree relatives. Uh, and then second degree relatives are your uncles and, and cousins, etc. <clears throat> So then, uh, then also, like I said, not only do you have the genetics from your family, especially if it's early heart disease, and even if they smoked or even if they had terrible cholesterol and you say, I don't smoke, it still puts you at risk. It's, uh, people don't understand this. Uh, even if it's something that's quote unquote potentially reversible in your family members, if they didn't, hadn't done certain things, that it still counts against, they don't, it doesn't, they don't ask how that person got their heart disease. They just count it as a risk factor for you. Um, and so that's the, that's the thing. So uh, we know that obesity, sedentary, lifestyle, uh, uh, recent heart attack, uh, uh, repeat heart attacks, and all these things put you at risk for another heart attack or a primary heart attack in, in our case, um, uh, uh, smoking, uh, uh, all these things, and high, elevated LDL cholesterol uh, and the oxidized form and a couple of other things about APO A and APO B. But anyway, uh, those are, are, are the big risk factors that can be uh, monitored and modified. That's right. All right. Well, moving along, we are going to go with question number four here. Doc, Mm -hmm. I'm urinating more than usual. Should I be concerned? Yeah, sure. It bothers you enough to ask me. Absolutely. So first of all, I want to know, you know, how often did you used to? Yeah, that's going to be my question. What's considered a lot? Yeah. What's what's considered a lot? What 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 did you used to? What did you used to urinate? And most people are not are not born or not in their first decades or two of life or three decades of life. They never complain about it because they don't think it's an issue. Uh, but uh, but most most uh, you know, if you're in, in fluid balance, what you put in comes out. So if you're if you're hydrated, if you drink a liter of water you'll tend to pee out close to a liter there you'll have insensible water loss in breath and some in the stool some in hmm. your breathing some in your sweat but uh, if you're if you're if you're if if you're in water balance if you're not dehydrated 
people who are dehydrated, obviously, they may not pee at all. That's a part of the problem. That's what we see in kids, and that's what we see in, in the military. You drink, 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 nothing comes out. So you got to be careful about that. That means that, you, that your body needed to hold on to that, that you're deficient in, in, in uh, dehydrated, deficient in water. So that's, the, that's just a general. And the, 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 the stronger the yellow the more dehydrated you probably were. So as you can imagine, you can drink enough water so it's practically clear like water. So water in comes looks like clear coming out. That's in water balance. The darker the darker your urine, the smaller volume. The darker it means that even though you drank a lot, it's concentrating a lot of waste product in a small amount of volume that's going into the toilet. So we want to, to have all the waste product in a large volume of water in order to kind of uh, to, to, to make sure that you're in, in, uh, in, in fluid balance. So that's the first thing. If you get up a night to pee, that's abnormal typically. It depends on how much you drink before you go to bed. But uh, so as whenever you're a youngster, you didn't usually have to get up a night to pee for most of us. So that's the, that's the first thing. So if you get up a night to, to urinate, that's nocturia. Um, so that's the first thing. Uh, so if you have it once or twice per night to have to get up to pee, it's time to talk to your doctor. And I'll come back to why people have to urinate frequently or at night. Um, uh, during the day, if you feel if you go to urinate, you, you sit on the toilet, stand on the, uh, above the toilet, the urinal, and you empty your urine, and then you practically walking out, putting on, pulling up your zipper, go wash your hands. Yes, wash your hands, even with the, with the urinating. Uh, and you practically have to turn around and go back. That's also a, a hint, even if it's a few dribbles, but you get the urgency to walk walk right back. That's a, that's a urinary urgency, and that needs to be also addressed. Uh, if you're going to if you're going to pee every few hours, not unless you're a chronic water drinker, that also is an issue. Uh, so that's the other thing. If you feel the urge to pee, but there's not much there. You get a few dribbles. That's also an issue. So all these things are uh, should you should bring up to your doctor, and you can describe it as such. You know what what these are uh, they are. So the typical stuff. <clears throat> number one is that um, people who drink too much water, uh, too much uh, is a fir- uh, f- is pretty rare. But there are some so there's some people that uh, do drink excessive sodas. They don't think it's water because I just drink coffee. I drink this. Well, so, you know all liquids are water based that we put in our body. That's the first thing. Number next is, uh, your, is caffeine and maybe other products in certain drinks tend to stimulate our bladder to squeeze and our prostate to go into spasm. So people have urinary frequency and not much urine there. Uh, it may be something that's irritating your bladder, or your prostate, the smooth uh, muscle in your prostate or the the bladder, which is lined with the muscle that makes it squeeze. So there's maybe not much urine there, but you get the urge to, to go because it's from an irritating product that we're ingesting. It's usually caffeine or something in the, in the drinks. So that's the next thing. Next thing is big prostates. So the prostate sits in the bottom of your bladder between the bladder uh, on top of it and then, the, and then the urethra goes to your prostate and it goes out to the penis. So if your prostate is enlarged or in spasm, uh, uh, then that also may not allow your bladder to empty all the way. So you empty, you, you got a high pressure, so you push out some through the tight prostate that's in spasm and you can't empty your bladder all the way, but you clamp off, your prostate clamps off, but you still have a semi-full bladder. So that's when you have to keep going back frequently as uh, because your prostate won't let you empty your bladder all the way. Uh, that's uh, Very rarely is prostate cancer prevents you from uh, emptying all the way. It's usually just uh, overactive bladder, uh, or, I'm sorry, overactive or spastic prostate uh, or overactive bladder. The other thing that men and women get is OAB, overactive bladder. This is a spasm of the bladder. doesn't have much urine in it, <clears throat> but it feels like you have, you have to go. So that's the other thing. Uh, so that's the other way. It's called OAB. Uh, so we've talked about... 
We've talked about kind of uh, uh, drinking too much uh, fluids, over uh, overactive bladder, sp- uh, spasm of the prostate, enlargement of the prostate. Uh, we've uh, it's unlikely going to be uh, uh, urinary can- uh, or, or a cancer of the prostate that's causing you to go too much. The other things are if you're a diabetic and you don't have good control of your diabetes, whether you're type one diabetic that requires insulin or type two diabetics that uh, typically doesn't require insulin early on, may require insulin later. If your blood sugars are high, your your body gets got to get rid of your sugar somehow they can't get it into the cells because you don't have enough insulin so it puts it through the kidneys out to the urine and, and sugar in your urine drags more water out with it one of the signs of poor blood sugar control is that you get up at night to pee or you have daytime excess peeing uh, so that's not enough that's excess sugars in your bloodstream either you're eating too many sugars or you don't have enough insulin to take care of the sugars in the bloodstream to lower your blood sugars so that's the other thing uh, there are people with heart failure this is excess fluid because your heart is not pumping efficiently and correctly uh, so uh, you'll, uh, these people will have excess fluids. Their legs will be swollen. They may have fluids on their belly, fluid around their lungs. And uh, especially if they da- lay down at night, uh, they can have to get up pre- frequently to pee at night. Uh, that's the other uh, cause for... Uh, but yeah, there's a reason to go see your doctor, talk to your doctor if you, uh, for any reason that your urination has changed in volume or, or, or frequency. Yeah, good question. Yeah, and you know, every time we talk about men's health, the prostate is brought up at some mm-hmm. point. That's that's terrific for men. Women don't have a prostate; men do, so we get to it's, we get to talk about that just for men. Yes, yes. Yeah. Any any medical topic for men, it's always uh, the prostate is always brought up at some point. I also sure. want to point out when hydrating, the temperature of the water and the speed that you drink it are also huge. If yeah, you're trying I, to hydrate, is that is that we, yeah. we all we all want to chug ice cold water when we we're do. dehydrated and it's hot out, but that's the exact opposite. You want a little, you want your water if you're feeling dehydrated and you know you don't necessarily have an IV bag or something right. you can stick we'll, in. We'll, if, we'll you, if you can get some room temperature water and sip on it, and there mm-hmm. you go. You'll you'll be all right. Because <laughs> right, correct me if I'm wrong, but the body has to bring that water temperature to the body temperature yeah so or it's just going to pass through right so part of well it, part of it is that that's true that your internal even though you may feel hot outside unless you're uh, unless you're having uh, uh, heat exhaustion or heat stroke two different things uh that that's your body internal temp, even though your surface temperature may be high feel high and you're sweating to try to cool the surface temperature uh your internal temperature is still 98.6 whatever the around that stuff so your your yeah your water temperature if it's 32 degrees, it's not gonna be 32 because it's ice but above 32 let's say it's 40 your body will want to dump heat into your stomach where the fluid is to to and and uh, equalize come to equilibrium with with respect to the temperature for the water uh, so uh, even if you're not feeling hot i think it just is a satisfying feeling and uh, stuff like that uh, but yeah that's uh, i i've not heard uh, that uh, about the room temperature water but certainly there's nothing wrong with room temperature water absolutely not uh, but yeah yeah all right, and we got one more question. I thought of this. This was something sure. I heard a while back, Hit and I up. thought I'd ask you. So I've heard that when men get to a certain age, mm-hmm. if they were to reproduce, mm-hmm. you're, um, you're facing higher risk of developmental problems in that child. How true is this, yeah. and, and what are some just some information surrounding that? Yeah. What, what, are, what is the age? What are some of the problems that can occur? 
Yeah, that's a, that's a very good question. Well, for, for decades, we've known that for, for women uh, above age 30, they increase the risk of trisomy uh, 21. Uh, 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 so uh, we know that for women, if they're even at 30, and a lot of women are 30 and above whenever they have their first child nowadays, they have other things that are going on in their lives, um, as opposed to decades ago when women would get married relatively younger and have children relatively younger. Uh, so, uh, so, so what we've known for years that women who are just 30 and above are increased risk for autism or not autism for uh, uh, for Down syndrome for their babies so that's one thing but we've known now known for years that men their sperm uh, now increase uh, if they're uh, advanced in age increases the risk for a baby having autism uh, so that's that's one of the things so and this is a, this is a challenging thing whenever we deal with today's society's needs and our social norms is that People feel that they can be just as great as if they're 23, as a 33 or 43 or 53. You and I, who, who was it that just had a... a, a Robert De Niro. Robert De Niro. He's eight, I, I want to say, I could be wrong without looking it up. I want to say he's 83 and the girl he, uh, his girlfriend that's pregnant currently, or just had the child, I believe, is 29. Yeah, I bet you that they had uh, uh, chorionic villus uh, sampling and, uh, and, uh, um, and other testing. Uh, to make sure for the baby, because that puts that puts the baby his age puts the baby at risk for having uh, um, uh, medical issues. But anyway, God bless him. Um, so so we don't have it's not a free and clear runway. Um, uh, you know, you could start uh, uh, all all your reproductive years. So that's important to kind of say. People can still make their own choice, personal choice, cultural choice. Uh, but I want people to understand medically, uh, we, we uh, just because people can get pregnant when they're in their 40s doesn't mean it's an e- it's easy to get pregnant. Doesn't mean it's uh, that they can carry the baby as long uh, without uh, having support from a from a fertility specialist, etc. And men's ages that's why we're here. Men's ages do affect his fertility. Obviously, it has a, a number of sperm that he can produce, the quality of the sperm, and also the risk for autism uh, for the baby. Uh, so, uh, and fortunately, we can get in utero testing. Uh, so. Uh, 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 amniocentesis and chorionic villus sampling are the two big ones to look at uh, certain genetic uh, um, uh, abnormalities uh, so we can get a hint of what's happening. Ultrasound is the other way. Uh, but yeah, we're, we're getting to a point where we have, we've been, we've had a, decades of where we have more choice of, of, of freezing eggs, freezing sperm, so that we can choose later uh, to, to have uh, babies, whether it's in, in, in the, the original woman's womb or a surrogate uh, person to carry uh, a fertilized egg and, and sperm from the original uh, mom and dad um, uh, for the baby. Uh, so we've heard about it in certainly in celebrity who have surrogacy who use surrogacy kind of routinely um, so they say they're, they're they say that they they, uh, they talk about it out loud uh, Kim Kardashian I think has had several surrogate uh, children uh, so yeah so I don't keep we, up with the Kardashians yeah. <laughs> unlike the so I, I avoid but, it actually but, but part of it is that it becomes part of the part of the cultural uh, talk about you mm-hmm. know what what's 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 available and uh, it's not necessarily as available to the rest of us uh, because of uh, money and other things but yes absolutely there there you have increased risks and increased issues uh, not absolutely you know never but increased and that's important to know the the comparative uh, words. Yeah. All right. One more guy question. Sure. With Aaron Rodgers going to the Jets, 
Will the Bills still win the AFC East? You are better versed, everybody. My son-in-laws are better versed, and you're better versed than I am because I don't follow football. Okay, well, the question is, yes, the Bills are still probably going to win the AFC East. Jets will be a wild card. We'll we'll, we'll, we'll say that, but the— we still that still uh, remains to be seen. Well, doctor, this was fun. Yeah, What'd it's you all think? right. Not bad. Not I, bad at I all. I think Vanessa could, would be proud. Yeah, for I the most so. part, I think she'd be okay with it. I think she'd have more refined, more incisive questions and grill me on some of my general statements. Nice, yeah, nice. Fun. All right. Well, if you have any views, questions you want to ask the doctor anonymously, you can contact us uh, on the website. Not your yeah. doc pod.com and there you can also listen to past shows and check out the blog itself dr chucky t dr tadros i'm sorry everyone around the office and everybody you know is going to start calling you that and you're going to hate me for it i have a feeling that's all right it'll work i think they'll know who i am and these you can contact us about anything it doesn't have to be some anonymous embarrassing health question just any questions or concerns or any topics you want to hear on the show hit us up notyourdocpod.com uh doctor thanks so much this has been fun Fun. we'll see hopefully see vanessa again soon hopefully she hears this and doesn't hate this episode too much i think she'll enjoy it quite a bit all right well we'll see you next time doc all right bye-bye thanks This previous podcast represents my opinions and the opinions of my guests. This is not medical advice, and I'm not establishing a physician-patient relationship with any listener. The content here should not be taken as medical advice. The content here is for informational purposes only, and because each patient is so unique, please consult your healthcare professional for any medical questions that you may have.